This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Windows into the soul of the revolution. A social justice revolution is being imposed on the United States. Like all effective lies, it contains grains of truth. The leftists behind it are specialists in milling those grains into a mass of conjecture and absurdity. Their goal is to overturn any remaining traces of traditional virtue that remain in America. The coronavirus crisis and social unrest are only two events that they can manipulate to their ends. This episode of the Return to Order Moment is designed to open the left's distortions to public scrutiny. First, we look at the usage of the word selfish and the way that it is used by the revolutionaries. Mr. John Horvath II examines that usage in his article, To the Left, Stop Weaponizing the Word Selfish. Selfish is a word that is gaining currency in the coronavirus crisis. Those who oppose excessive lockdown measures can easily find themselves shamed by this latest word in the liberal lexicon, comparable to the expression anti-choice. The word itself is common enough. A dictionary definition of selfish is the state of being, quote, concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself, unquote. It describes one who is, quote, seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regard for others, unquote. Thus, the word always has a negative but not necessarily dangerous connotation. A selfish person is often to be pitied, but rarely to be feared. The left has always manipulated the meanings of words to favor its class struggle narratives. A well-employed word can be a powerful weapon of mass manipulation in the Psy War against Christian order. Words can neutralize an adversary with astonishing efficiency. Plinio Correa de Oliveira wrote an essay titled Unperceived Ideological Transshipment and Dialogue. In it, the Catholic thinker analyzes this tactic and describes the unperceived process of word manipulation. He shows how the left employs what he calls talismanic words to change people's opinions and mentalities, especially in times of fear and crisis. These words have legitimate but elastic meanings that can be artfully manipulated to evoke a constellation of emotions, sympathies, and phobias. The media can easily exploit these and apply increasingly radical meanings to these words. The author explains the need to exorcise these words, stripping them of their power to influence. This is done by analyzing and exposing their false meanings. Selfish has now become a talismanic word. The left uses it to intimidate all those who oppose the radical Chinese-style measures during the lockdown or in the future. It has several elastic meanings that represent a range of attitudes and emotions. The world's simplest and most harmless meaning designates someone childish and immature and thus self-centered. This meaning is readily seen in the selfish child who will not share his toys with others. A more complex meaning would be materialists who amass fortunes by looking after their legitimate interests, yet have little concern for friends and neighbors. In this case, these selfish individuals are so focused on themselves that they forget others. Then there is the selfishness of the individualists, 
which is much more egocentric. They hold that all individuals are sufficient unto themselves and that this turning toward self is virtuous. Their attitude toward others can be uncaring, but need not be. Finally, there is the contrived meaning of the word promoted by the left. It depicts those whose care of self reaches such a point that it proves dangerous to others. Thus, all who disobey the lockdown to put food on the table for their families are selfish, leftists claim. The sense of responsibility and work ethic of these hardworking and patriotic Americans is supposedly a threat and danger to the health of everyone else. This skewed perspective favors a class-struggle interpretation of the word selfish. It is a recast of the Marxist tenet that all who have more are oppressive egotists and naturally hateful. Their property-owning is labeled a threat to all who have less. In the coronavirus lockdown debate, the word selfish has been used in all of the above senses. Those who question a draconian measure are made to appear as immature, materialistic, and individualistic. Leftists use the word to create a climate of hostility and even hatred for the nonconforming. As the alarm around the crisis accelerates, the most radical definition, the Marxist one, tends to crowd out all others, including the legitimate one. Turned into a label, the word is hung around the neck of those who go about their work responsibly. These people are not selfish at all. They are taking care of their legitimate interests and their families. The hysteria of the moment causes people to disregard the facts and grossly exaggerate risks. Thus, a selfish man might even be called a murderer because by working to feed his family, he might remotely be exposing others to the coronavirus. So also, the mother who forgets to wear a face mask at the supermarket might be tarred as a selfish killer because she might be infecting others. Gradually, anyone labeled selfish is considered the worst villain. Not being willing to face public scorn, most people conform and change their mentalities and positions. The heroes who resist are the exceptions. Shelley Luther, who flaunted the lockdown to open up for business, was one of the few. District Judge Eric Moy in Texas asked the hair salon entrepreneur to apologize North Korean communist style for being selfish or face a $3,500 fine and a week in jail. She rejected the pejorative meaning he attached dishonestly to the word, saying, quote, I have to disagree with you, sir, when you say that I am selfish, because feeding my kids is not selfish. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon, unquote. The mischaracterization of any act of legitimate self-interest for family, community, or country as a threat to the general public is key to the left's weaponizing of the term selfish. Leveraging the widespread fear generated by the crisis, public frenzy can be twisted into considering these innocent acts almost as acts of terrorism. The misperception denies the most basic common sense and justice. Falling back on the truth is a sure way of popping the left's wicked hot air balloon. 
As soon as sound health practices are followed, there is nothing wrong with desiring to care for oneself and loved ones in times of crisis. On the contrary, this is a good thing. People have the right and duty to protect and sustain themselves and their loved ones. They are not selfish because of this, but selfless and worthy of praise. Their efforts are directed toward the common good. It is time to de-weaponize the left's hijacking of the term selfish. Leftists who use the word need to be challenged to return the term to its legitimate and true sense, as so well done by Shelley Luther. They must be shamed into abandoning its exposed Marxist hijacking. The Marxist use of the word psychologically shackles anyone who tries to do something to quicken the recovery from this terrible plague. By this tactic, leftists promote the class of the unselfish. By unselfish, they mean all those who are unwilling to address any problems by themselves, all those who are unwilling to take any risk to help others, and all those who rely completely on an omnipotent state. Leviathan will supply them with money, benefits, and security. Good becomes evil, and evil good. Marx and Lenin will beam proudly on these truly selfish Americans. As so often happens, liberals accuse others of what they practice. They project their own selfishness onto those who would resist their subversion. Leftists are the first to demand rights over duties. Their self-centered agenda insists upon government handouts for everything. Their narcissistic activists shout, My body, my choice! and proclaim their pleasure to be supreme with utter disregard for anyone else, even a tiny, defenseless, and innocent baby. When it comes to selfishness, liberals come in second to none. Using the word selfish to stigmatize those who oppose excessive government action is repugnantly dishonest and offensive. Insult is added to injury when the champions of selfishness do it. Conservatives must call out the left for its shameless hijacking and weaponizing of the term selfish. The American people deserve more than empty slogans, exaggerated fears, and insults aimed at dividing the nation in its time of perils. They deserve truth, unity, and respect. This is the end of the article, To the left, stop weaponizing the word selfish. We now turn from the world of ideas to that of reality, as we consider Mr. Horvat's insights in his article, Beware the Rule of the Riot Makers. This article was first published under the title, Peaceful George Floyd Protesters Must Strongly Condemn Rioters Co-Opting Their Movement, by LifeSite News on June 10, 2020. In the face of the recent riots, many try to distinguish between protesters and the quote-unquote radical elements who riot. The former are always good and even patriotic. The latter are lamentable and perhaps criminal. In the words of General James Mattis, the riots are the work of quote-unquote a small number of lawbreakers that detract from the overall quest for justice. The General who is a scholar, should know better. When protests that turn into riots happen everywhere at the same time, using similar tactics and slogans, it is not the work of a small number of lawbreakers. 
when pallets of bricks allegedly appear near places of looting. This is not the work of random opportunists. When the bailed-out rioters enjoy the universal support of the liberal media, politicians, celebrities, business leaders, and clergy, something bigger is at play. This now worldwide effort is guided by those who know how to direct and articulate events toward a determined goal. These riots are not spontaneous or random. Things like this need organization, thought, and narrative. Riots need riot makers. Of course, most protesters are not riot makers. Many just want to manifest their anger over the death of George Floyd. However, when violent groups turn peaceful protests into riots, the riot makers use the cover and momentum of the protesters to advance their violent class struggle narrative. Likewise, not all riot makers participate in the riots, but they, above all, facilitate them. The final goal is to give the impression that everyone supports their struggle. When protesters fail to condemn rioters, they allow this impression to prevail. The protesters should immediately condemn and disassociate themselves from the violence. There is nothing patriotic about the wanton destruction of property that has ruined the lives of thousands of Americans. Indeed, the life of George Floyd is not worth intrinsically any more than the life of David Dorn, the black ex-police captain murdered by rioters in St. Louis. Do not all black lives matter? Why is one mourned and the other ignored? However, riot makers see the situation differently. They need violence because they are writing the narrative that everyone is following. It is the same tired narrative of the left that history is an external struggle between the exploiters and the exploited. Riot makers do not want social harmony, since it impedes the advance of the revolutionary process that they think will assure them of victory. The radical left has capitalized on the riots to foment class struggle on a mass scale. Indeed, all the familiar characters in this drama remain the same. Pro-abortionists, LGBT activists, socialists, feminists, and even Satanists join ranks in this revolution against the established order. The struggle explains why the riot makers inside the left, the media, and the liberal establishment frame this crisis as a quote-unquote systemic crisis. They know that a systemic crisis can only be changed by bringing down the system. They can claim that violence is the only way rioters can express their helplessness in the face of the massive system that oppresses them. In a systemic crisis, there can be no solutions to the very real and concrete problems. The riot makers make impossible demands that they know have no solutions inside the present system. When the riot makers take control, the offending classes can never change enough to suit them. They rule with cruel tyranny over actions and even thoughts. The only thing accepted by the riot makers is concessions and submission. The established order must invent the concessions that it will make to facilitate its self-destruction. Everyone must apologize and surrender. Thus, city governments voluntarily offer to defund or even abolish their police. 
They tie the hands of their officers while rioters attack and kill these brave defenders of the thin blue line. Civil and business leaders trip over each other in seeing who can surrender the most in this macabre dance towards society's disillusion. Moreover, the riot makers see violence as a means to accelerate change. If the object of their revolution is to destroy the established order, it must be physically threatened to scare the comfortable bourgeois to concede. Riots fast-forward these so-called historical processes and avoid the ugly defeats suffered through slower democratic processes. Framing the debate as a systemic crisis allows the riot-makers to prevent anyone from raising moral questions about their action. A systemic crisis absolves people of personal responsibility and free will since they insist that the system determines how people behave. It also hides the real problem. Indeed, it is much greater than racism, which is only a consequence. This problem is a moral crisis of massive proportions that is tearing America apart. This crisis happened because modern society developed styles of life that teach individuals not to assume moral responsibility for their actions. It created conditions whereby people become slaves to their unbridled passions. The result is a sinful society that becomes ever more disordered. In the present war against order, the riot-makers now fight with increased rage against the remnants of the natural moral law that seeks to restrain them, even if only by fallible police. They want their bricks to bring down the present decadent system, full of family, cultural, and even economic institutions that remind people of the Christian order that still survives in these times. The most radical riot-makers rage against God and his law. For this reason, the left seeks to avoid addressing the moral dimension. A moral worldview assumes human freedom and makes harmonious change possible. Moral law proposes solutions that work in union with human nature, not against it. Christian charity works toward ordering society and helping the needy. When the issue is framed in moral terms, as it should be, the riot-makers will always lose. So they avoid this. They fear the moral reawakening of an America that will call upon God and seal their defeat. This is the end of Beware the Rule of the Riot-Makers. We conclude the podcast with an article that will strike many listeners as bizarre, almost too bizarre to be true. Why Were Witches Involved in the Protests? by John Horvath II. The recent protests were supposed to be rallies of concerned Americans who were horrified by the death of George Floyd. However, many protests degenerated into riots that destroyed parts of American cities. Unfortunately, many capitalized on the events to present other agendas. People who have absolutely nothing to do with the issue of community policing are hoping to hijack the debate. Thus, the left has used the occasion to bring together ecologists, socialists, feminists, LGBTQ activists, pro-abortion advocates, and others to push their false class struggle narratives upon the American public. Less known, however, is the involvement of darker forces. Satanists and witches were invoking dark powers to aid those participating in the violence. 
The witches do not hide their involvement in the violent protests. Mashable reports that witches' covens are actively engaged in hexing police whom they accuse of brutality. They especially target those who are risking their lives to stop the riots. The witches also cast spells asking for protection for protesters that confront the police. Witch activists use their dark arts as a cutting-edge weapon for those who want to engage in more spiritual class warfare. The hashtag WitchesForBLM serves as a meeting place for practicing witches who want to learn how to cast protection spells, draw occult signals, and hex police. Five days after the hashtag started, it garnered 10 million views on the TikTok app. The postings often include videos of witches casting spells or even acting out what they believe will happen to the police they target. The hexing can get very personal, as the witches teach others to write down the names of individual police officers on papers, which are then burned with black candles. The hexes aim to bring misfortune to the officers already at risk while defending the city from disorder. The witches are part of a growing movement mixing politics and the occult. Numerous books of spells have been published since the 2016 elections, advising occultist activists how to invoke the powers of darkness for political causes. Witches and Satanists are appearing more often in public to push their agenda and display their scorn for God and his law. Such occult activism appears at odds with past leftist policies. The left used to follow a secular outlook that did not recognize spiritual powers of any kind. It always tried to keep politics and Christianity separate by labeling Christian action as superstitious. However, the left is now welcoming witches and occultists with their dark arts into the public square. Their involvement in the recent protest should surprise no one. The secular media tend to make light of these actions, seeing them almost as curiosities. They do not believe witches have real powers and see them as malcontents against Christianity. However, the secular left also has no problem accepting them into their ranks despite their disbelief in the supernatural. The occult story of the devil oppressed by an almighty God fits into their tired class struggle narrative and feeds their disdain for God. Religious Americans have no problem understanding the presence of the occult in this fight. If Christian prayers to God can affect events, then invocations to the devil can also have major consequences. Indeed, Christians have long defined history as the fight between the forces of good and evil. Wherever chaos, hatred, and agitation exist, the occult can be expected to have its role. It was the saving action of Christ that conquered the devil and sin and prepared the way for Christian civilization. This is why the involvement of witches in the protests is so troubling to those Christians who understand the full implications of dark magic. Their action involves real forces that are dangerous and sinister. The Catholic Encyclopedia defines occultist magic as, quote, the art of performing actions beyond the power of man with the aid of powers other than the divine, unquote. When taken seriously, its practitioners expect and obtain the interference of demons or lost souls for evil ends. The Church admits that spirits other than God can interfere in events, although never without God's permission. 
Prayers of exorcism aim to limit the devil's action over individuals and situations. In the present crisis, the last thing needed is occult involvement like the witches' spells and incantations. This will only increase the chaos and conflict. Satan is the spirit of division and hatred. America now needs to turn to God to defeat the actions of Satan, who prowls about seeking the ruin of souls and whole societies. This concludes the Return to Order moments, Windows into the Soul of the Revolution. Thank you so much for listening. To read these or find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.